Maddie, have you caught Blue Jays fever? Not entirely. What what uh, what's keeping you from jumping on this bandwagon? Eleven game win streak. Uh, they're knocking balls out of the park like there's no tomorrow. Why haven't you uh, jumped on that bandwagon yet? As an experienced Toronto native, we don't become fans of our sports teams until they do well consistently and make a playoffs of some sort. Make the playoffs is really the key there, isn't yes. it? Yes, yeah. But a lot of <laughs> Toronto has jumped on the Blue Jays bandwagon because tonight's Thursday, we're recording Thursday, yep. and it's sold out on a Thursday. Which is pretty nuts, uh, yeah. And David Price isn't even pitching. It's Mark Burley who's been here for a while. Mm. So why do you think – what is keeping you from joining the Jays? Or rather, what would make you jump on that bandwagon uh, and jump into baseball and be a Blue Jays uh, – a converted Blue Jays fan? Well, first of all, I was never that big of a baseball fan at all. I've been to one right. Jays game. It was horrible. It was, it was <laughs> the worst thing I've ever, been, sports, I've ever been to in life. I was on the Jumbotron, though. That was pretty cool. Um, of course, yeah, of course. That was really fun. What? What? Uh, I'm guessing you were like twerking on the jumbotron. I, I was not. That... I was ten, <laughs> like that. You're ten. Okay. Well, I take it back then. Jeez. Uh, what? Why? Why was it the worst experience of? Why was it the worst sporting experience you've had? Lots of sitting around. Lots of nothing happening. Well, that's what baseball All is. The action just, was when the Red Sox were hitting home runs on us. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's the typical Blue Jays experience. Pretty sure that day David Ortiz hit two or three home runs on us. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't fun. Well, I'm, he has one job. You yeah, know. DH. Yeah, hit the ball. Doesn't really do much else. Like you have to hit the ball. Exactly. So it makes sense he would do that. So there's really nothing that could get you to jump on the Blue Jays bandwagon now, even with them doing so well. Well, never say never. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> All right, Justin. Just say, yeah, we're gonna say Justin Bieber thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'll never say never. We'll see how it goes for the next couple of uh, weeks. We'll see how that happens. And the... So if they make the if they make the playoffs, yeah. I'll cheer for them. Then you're, then you're on the bandwagon. I'll cheer for them. Like, you, put it in a, you're not going to see me buying a, a jersey anytime soon, or we're starting to wear baseball hats. Well, that's just because you're that's because you're frugal. Yeah. yeah. Possibly. And like, when's the last? I've never seen you wear a exactly, hat. Exactly. I don't wear hats. So uh, yeah, it's not the hat thing isn't that much of a concern. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any Blue Jays gear to be honest with you. I got a couple of blue shirts, but I don't think you're going to see me getting onto that. You know. <laughs> A couple blue shirts yeah. that qualifies as Yeah, I'll tell you about it. Well, I grew up playing uh, hockey, soccer, basketball, those kind of things. Just not baseball. Not ba- not, never interested in baseball that really, yeah, that much. But can you get into a sport that you never played and you've never, un- like, you've never understood? I find you can understand a sport to get into it, though. Which is what I don't understand. Ah, with- I don't really I don't really understand cricket, but every time the Cricket World Cup's on, I try to devour it like a fiend. Really? Yeah, it's you know it's just uh, it's a different experience. Like the Tour de France, like I didn't ever competitively bike, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I was watching it at my uncle's house the other day, and it's absolutely fascinating. It and they were like, it's actually the play-by-play for the Tour de France is like something else because they were sixty kilometers out in that in the stage that I was watching, yeah. and the commentator was actually making it very interesting and making it seem like it was life or death. And they were so far from the finish line. Jeez. Uh, it was it was unbelievable. Just search stage twenty of the Tour de France. I think that's the craziest one from this year. Uh, and look up the Dutch corner specifically. The Dutch corner. Why is it called the Dutch the corner? Dutch corner. I don't know why it's called the Dutch corner, but basically these spikers come flying in at whatever their average speeds like forty kilometers an hour. That's including uphill, so they could be going in at fifty or sixty kilometers an hour. Jeez. And they come flying into this corner. And basically, uh, if you get the right feed, you can probably get it on 
the helmet cam of one of the the guys in the motorbikes that goes through yeah. it. And there's just fans lined up on the road. And as these bikers come flying in, they can't see anything but people. And the people just jump out of the way as they come towards them. Why? Like that's dangerous. I don't know. It's freaking awesome. It's awesome. <clears throat> like the whole way up this hill, they were going. Uh, the whole way up the hill, there was people lined up with trailers and bikes and just hanging out, uh, yelling, cheering them on, running with them. And then they get into the Dutch corner. That's where everyone's kind of congregated. And it's just, it's absolutely insane. There was a naked guy running in front of people on the bike. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Like, just look it up, look up stage 20, Tour de France, uh, Dutch corner. And if you can see more of the stage 20 highlights and how quick these guys are going uphill, uh, it's absolutely insane, the stuff they're doing. And it just blows my yeah, mind. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that more out. More to the point, what we were talking about was, uh, you know, I don't yeah, I never you, bike, you never bike, but I can still get the yeah. I find you get a little but more of appreci- appreciation for it. Like, I'll uh, play a little Aussie rules football in high school. Did you? Yeah, I, I didn't know this. A little bit, yeah. Okay. It's funny because at my, for my school, they used to have, there was a rep for Aussie Rules Canada was coming around to the inner city schools and was teaching them how to play for a week. So for the whole first week, he te- one day teach us how to do a certain skill, Tuesday another skill, and then the whole of the second week we'd play. And so we, That's amazing. So yeah, that was, I really started to appreciate that sport a lot. And there's actually, there's a guy named Matt Moylan who plays for the Parents Panthers in Australia, the Aussie Rules Football League there. Oh, right on. Yeah, so I'm a big Matt Moylan fan. <laughs> okay, so w- tell me what it, playing Aussie Rules Football is like then. Like, did, did you enjoy it? Of course, yeah. It's a cross between rugby and soccer and uh, an American football. Right. Kind of, yeah. Some interesting rules. There's uh, the uh, the up- the uprights as well. Uh, there's three different openings where you can kick the ball through to get different amounts of points. Tackling, and you-, you can kick the ball like yeah. a soccer ball. And uh, you know, you can also dribble it. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you the ball has to touch the ground every certain couple of meters or certain steps, I believe. I forget the exact yeah. number, but that was yeah. pretty cool. So it's you know, a little basketball. One can argue because there's a special technique of how to bounce a ball par- uh, properly, right? So it lands back in your hand. It's really really cool. That's it's uh it's I so when I was sick as a kid, I'd always be up at like two or three in the morning watching Aussie Rules football on TV. Yeah, Satanta Sports. And it always, never, on Satanta Sports, exactly. <laughs> and I have no I idea. I was sick also some days to watch the, to stay home and watch Satanta Sports. Okay, this is gonna, okay, did you ever watch Deja Vu? No, what's that? Is that? So that was all like the really old timey shows. Oh, like, okay. I Love Lucy. Oh, yeah, yeah, the uh, channel, okay, yeah. The channel, yeah. So they, so... When I was sick, I'd either be watching Satanta Sports when I had the free preview, because there was only the free preview. Yeah, the free preview. Well, it was, I think it was free for a while, but anyways, eventually it wasn't anymore, yeah. as is most things. Yeah. But uh, Deja Vu, and I watched so many episodes of Three's Company, I can't even tell you. Jeez. Uh, I can't even tell you. It was something that else. That explains a lot, Colin, yeah. Does it? <laughs> yeah. Does it? Yeah, your, your two right. sides. My two the sides. Two sides right. Yeah, the, the star football quarterback. Oh, this week's recommendation, the best of Tegan and Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, but back to Aussie Rules football. Yes. So you played Aussie Rules football. You got an appreciation for yeah. it. If I dragged you out, bought you a ball glove, and you and I played catch, would you then have an appreciation for baseball? I don't know about that. Okay, well, like if I if you got to play a bit of baseball, like you got to play a game, would you have more of an appreciation for it and get on the Blue Jays bandwagon? Possibly, yeah. You have to, you I'm planning our next outing together. Yeah, right. We'll play some baseball. Yeah, I think I've got a glove lying around here somewhere. All right, that's actually my uh, my glove got ripped, so you're you got one step up on me right now. Jeez. 
Uh, so Blue Jays, Maddie, not on board. I am like, I was calling Bell at like nine o'clock last night, trying to make sure that I could watch their five TV app without incurring any data charges. Nice. So then we had just had the Jays game on in the background. Uh, I've definitely fallen into the Jays craze. The Jays in 30 um, is the only way I can probably watch a uh, Jays game. You know what? The Jays in 30 is an awesome way to watch a Jays yeah, game, yeah. actually. it's a. I would definitely recommend it. It, it you Just get all the good stuff. Because I may not care about the sports too much, but I care how the Jays do. At the end of the day, yeah, I always care about fair how they're Because you're a Toronto It's fan, not right? fun when the Leafs, the Raptors, and the Jays are all last place the same year. It's happening. Toronto with, Rock, man. Oh, Toronto, Toronto Rock. Rock. Yeah, I would have rounded them. You got to get on the Rock That's bandwagon. True, yeah. In the Argos hangaround. Oh, uh, that's true, yeah. Have you, uh, what about TFC? Have you seen any TFC uh, games? No, when you've spent your entire life watching quality soccer, you don't want to ruin it with that. It's kind of hard to watch, eh? Yeah, it is. But they've picked up, uh, what's his Javinko. name? Javinko. Javinko, yeah. yeah. And while Frank Lampard is on New York City FC, so I, I'll watch a highlight here and there. Maddie, Didier Drogba, Montreal Yes, Impact. Montreal Impact, that's as well. So next year, I'm going to see every Impact game when they play Toronto, as well as every, uh, New York City game when they come in to play. That's going right. to be pretty fun. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. I figured that you'd be all over the Montreal Impact with Drogba coming Oh, uh, no, because it's Montreal. It's the, it's the... But have you ever seen him play in person before? No, never. Yeah. So, you should probably, like... Become a Montreal up... fan? Well, I'll become a Montreal fan, but I was going to say come here, and then you and I can go on to the Montreal... Watch the Montreal Impact play in Montreal. Uh, it's actually... A, it's only a two and a half hour that's bus actually, ride That's here, actually a very good idea, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know was going to think about that. Yeah, that's a very good idea. I'm, I have one good idea day. And uh, that today was it. was it? Yeah, there you go. That was it. The rest of the podcast, I'm going to give out no good no good information. All right, so moving into soccer. Yep. Awesome. Great yeah, segue Yeah, a little segue there, there yeah. Uh, let's talk about your Chelsea Blues there, Matt. All right. And their performance over the weekend. Uh, do you blame... Courtois, Court, Courtois, yeah, you go, it. you got it. Courtois, uh, for that, for that draw, the two-two draw against Swansea, a game that Chelsea probably should have won. Or is there more going on there that you were disappointed in? Uh, being ten men down, of course, Courtois got the red card. Yeah, he was off. He had ten men for Chelsea. But do you really think that that is reflective of the performance overall? No, I don't think the that was reflective the red card itself. I find that red cards to keepers are throwing it a little too easily because look at it look at the scenario you're giving a keeper a red card in the box first of all you're getting a penalty kick second of all the number one keeper's gone third of all yeah you're down to 10 yeah. men yeah. it's no that it's it's stupid and it's harsh very, it's, yeah. it's a little too harsh i find yeah and especially with most of them are usually weak challenges where say a player did that with his feet uh to someone in the box you'd get a penalty of course but you wouldn't be such a severe you red a card red. yeah yeah, and then say yeah. it's a def- say it's a midfielder going off. You just got to regroup, pull a striker back. Yeah. when it's a keeper coming yeah. off, you got to sub someone off so that another keeper can come back on. It's it's uh, it, that you actually raise a really great point, Matt. And I didn't I didn't think we would touch on this, but it is it is ridiculously harsh. Yeah, and uh, you know, think of how disadvantaged the keeper is to begin with. Exactly. Yeah, uh, and now you're going to be throwing them under the bus when they trip up a guy in the box, yeah. like unless they come die like. You know, they'll punch a guy in the head every once in a while. Yeah. They don't get red cards. Unless, Unless the they ball. come in and, like, yeah. kick some guy in the face. I don't see why they should be giving red cards to keepers like exactly. that. Exactly, yeah, because they're what it, very important to the, to the team, yeah. Did you think the Courtois one was a foul, though? It was a, like, it was a deserved penalty? Uh, tough to say. I didn't see... It was in the, it was in the box, if it's it a foul. Like, it was definitely in the box. I didn't see as much contact as a normal foul I'd have seen. Right. But, uh... You know, say it's they got the penalty, 
I wouldn't yeah. argue against that. I would argue against the red card, though. That's definitely right. something I'd argue about. And I thought both teams didn't do very well at all. Uh, well, that's yeah. Chelsea's goal off the free kick. It was just a miscommunication that just went to the back of the net practically. Wasn't anything, mm-hmm. was anything special, you know, and of course another penalty kick because of a stupid foul. So nothing. I wasn't very impressed with either team. Swansea. Remember, we're talking about a team that uh, to look out for. We talked about the last podcast. Uh, I said that Swansea is going to be someone who might creep in and grab a place a little higher and might challenge for maybe a top five for a certain mm-hmm. part of the season. I, I think they might just because they don't have to worry about Europe right now, and that's a good result. Uh, first game in the season against the champions and drawing them like that that's a very good result for them and you raise a good point about not having to worry about europe and that's often beneficial for those teams that are just on the cusp of trying to crack into the champions league in that fourth or fifth spot exactly uh and you know if you're out of the fa cup early and your only focus is on uh the, the premier league yeah that's a lot of time you're dedicating to it and a lot of practice exactly and a lot of fitness these guys this, uh, this team's gonna have and you have way more game planning uh opportunities than your you know top tier opponents do yeah and that's why you see teams like Chelsea kind of struggle at times. Yeah. Uh, later in the season, I don't think you can pin that on this law on this draw. No, not at all. Which, which, okay. So two things, Matt. Do you really think that this draw for uh, Chelsea against Swansea is that actually just technically a loss for this side, given the context? Not a loss because you're still getting a point. I find, but you know, it's not a defeat. being the defending champions. You don't want to you don't want to start off on a foot like that. Yeah. You, you know, you want to start off on the wrong foot. And, you know, one of the things that I saw from the game and uh, was evident was a lack of attacking skill yeah, up front. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, Oscar was their biggest impact player for a while mm-hmm. there, and he had to be subbed out when Courtois went down. Yeah. But more to the point, you know, it was 2-2 following that penalty. Like, it was 2-1 before Courtois took that red. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, giving up a goal to Swansea uh, early on in a match. It's not you good, know, yeah. It, not good. So two two, and then they have to play a ten men down. Like, yeah. you know, you're defending champs. It's not how you want to start. So that's why, I, you know, exactly. Yeah. It, but you don't you don't think it's a loss given all just that. because. Yeah, the red card was like we said was kind of harsh. And Swansea's a good side, and it's the first uh, first match of the season. Um, and Diego Costa, the striker, he was uh, he had some ang- oh, sorry some uh, quad problems, and so there's just that's the one thing they were lacking last season is just scoring goals at will and just. The f- having finishing touch. There were too many close call games last year. I found in Chelsea's champion uh, championship run, and that's what they need to uh, they need to kill off teams early, and because their defense is fine at times. The only time their defense is getting caught out is when they're getting ca- counterattacked. Yeah, on the, on the counterattack, and and in sticky you know, sticky scenarios that happen. Um, as long as Chelsea can kill off a team fast, and get that just get a goal and just have some have some finishing just a, just a lack of finishing touch like a one two three play just lacking that third uh, that number three play there that's what they're lacking and I think they need to improve on. But doesn't that all kind of fall back on Jose Mourinho choosing Diego Costa given the fact he's injured? Like he had other options he could have gone with. Well, he did, but I know we talked about this for a long time last us uh, you got Falcao and look Remy. Remy is Remy's a big game player. I think they need to give Remy a me shot. Too. Like I, don't, I just, it just frustrates me because I think he's a really talented player. Yeah, and if you got a, if you got a hamstring, you know, if you got Diego Costa with a hamstring problem, put Remy up. Exactly. There. Yeah. And Remy's a big game player. He scored some big goals against them. Uh, he scored against Man City last year to give us a lead yeah. uh, when we played them away from home uh, near the end of the season. Like a cru- as a crucial, we need to grab points off this game, and he really helped out. Um, but yeah, he. I don't think he's the player who's ready to take uh, 
ready to take the uh, a load on his shoulders like that. Yeah, you, you, there's definitely, but at some point you have to say, if you're not ready, we're just going to dump the load on you anyway. Yeah, true. And, deal and like, it. what better opportunity do you have than against than... Swansea in your opening, opening yeah. game? Yeah, because he's a very talented and it was striker. At St- yeah. yeah, and it was at Stanford Bridge, correct? That's right. Perfect. You're at home crowd. Mm-hmm. Like, throw Remy in there, you know? What could I argue, though, that Let... a home crowd is a little more added pressure than an away crowd? Well, yeah, that is a good yeah. point. There's a, definitely a difference between a home team advantage in North American sports, yeah, there definitely is, and a home team advantage in uh, you know the EPL and in soccer in general. Because yeah. if you're not performing well, that you often hear it more from the home team fans than the away. That's very true. Yeah, especially at a home opener too. Everyone wants to see a win, expects a win, or at least wants to see a good performance. So what uh, what adjustments do you think uh, Jose Mourinho can make going into future weeks? Does he make any, or does he stand pat and just hope they improve? Um, well, knowing him, he's a tactical genius, that guy. He's going to be prepared for Man City. Um, but Man City looks like a very, very different team, though. I think you agree with that with me on that one. If we saw mm-hmm. that 3-0 win they, uh, they had. They're a very different team. They're looking like the team that was uh, that won two seasons ago. They're looking like that just right off the bat. Um, he's going to have to prep for that very well. Uh, it's funny, the year that they won the the, champion, uh, the Premier League, Chelsea beat them twice in a row, and it was just using the midfield. It was taking yeah. taking control of their midfield and, and taking out uh, key players like Yaya Toure, who looks dangerous after that first game. He was a little quiet last year. He looks dangerous now, and he is one yeah. man who scares me. Yep, yeah. but as, uh, as we noted last podcast, he is streaky at times true, so we yeah. won't elaborate on that anymore but that's uh it's a good point he did look good in the it first very game. good yeah and man city in general looked very good that's true yeah uh, very convincing three nothing win which puts the pressure on uh arsenal yep. man united chelsea to perform especially and it's... none of them none of them performed well exactly uh yeah. over the week the first week of the premier league season that's true so arsenal going down to what was it to, to, uh, to west ham 2-0 yeah i think that's more of a talking point that's more of a thing to look out for because they were they were tipped to uh, be Chelsea's biggest challenge this year by most uh, most pundits around the league, and to go out and lose by two goals to a West Ham United team, a team that battles for relegation practically every year for the past half decade. Uh, yeah, that's that's something that's uh, you're gonna have to take a take a big look at. Do you think Jose Mourinho sold? Given having seen uh, Petr Cech's performance in goal for Arsenal, the former Chelsea keeper, mm-hmm. do you think that? Uh, Jose Mourinho and Petr Cech are planning on dismantling Arsenal from the inside because, boy, Petr Cech looked absolutely terrible. He did. Um, I don't think it's so it's like an elaborate the, it's, this scheme. This sounds like a plot to a, a crazy movie, like some scandal of giving their number one keeper making. I would not out. put it past Jose Mourinho in the slightest to sell a player for X million dollars and actually just have him be. The inside man letting in the goals. That would be That's it. the only thing I can think of because on the second goal, Petr Cech didn't even move. No, not even. that. And even this positioning for the first goal. Like, Petr Cech never, well, of course he had a couple of bad games with Chelsea, but he was known as a guy who bailed Chelsea out every yeah. single chance. That yeah. Champions League run we had when we won in, in 2012, all thanks to Petr Cech. He didn't get enough recognition for that. All the penalty saves and the saving Leo Messi point blank a couple of times. Like it's yeah. not easy to stop the best player in the world like that. Um, and and then to set the scene for those that didn't actually get to see the goals, the first was a free kick in from the right. Yeah. Uh, and Petr Cech basically ran out, put his hands up, but he let a guy run right in front of yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, totally cut him off and just headed into the wide open net. His body and, and arms. He ran far out to get it. His body and arms. He did not position himself well. He let a guy get in front of him, yeah. in front of the ball, and he just heads it right into the open net. The second goal was basically just a strike from outside the box that went bottom left corner. He had the positioning. He didn't even lay out. It just went in. Yeah. What a job, though, that would be. Say you're at the end of your career. You're still, you know, you still got some good years left. You've won everything you can. But your manager's like, hey, go play for our rivals and <laughs> make them lose. It'd be a hell of a, it'd an be amazing a hell of a job. Tr- that would be amazing. Go down yeah, in history. Like, I don't know. How long do you think? How long is the leash on Petr Cech? I don't know because two uh, seasons ago, he was very good. He barely played last year. When he did, he was still just as good. He didn't lose a single he didn't lose a step at all. Do you think? But the, given the fact that this Arsenal team was tapped as one that was going to be challenging Chelsea for yeah. the league title, do you think that means there's a shorter leash on Petr Cech? Well, keep in mind though, they didn't score any goals, Arsenal, and that's nothing to do with the goalie. <sighs> that's a good point, yeah. Matt. Yeah, yeah, two nothing, West Ham. Yeah. Did you see that the guy got it, uh, the game, the match report tattooed? on his uh his behind oh no, i did not see that a west ham fan went out and got the chelsea or uh, west or not the chelsea the arsenal. arsenal west ham match report tattoo that's hilarious uh, i did not see that that's really funny that is that is fandom yeah that is because well, yeah they're north london rivals they hit each other those two teams that is hilarious i did not know that <laughs> so back that. back to, as a, that was just an aside <laughs> so back to the uh the, the thing at hand how long how many games of uh you made a good point. Yes, mm. Arsenal didn't score, but we kind of expect that from Arsenal at this point, do we not? I don't know. Uh, They've got a bit of a stronger, uh, pretty strong strike force going at them uh, for themselves right now. Fair, but it's just kind of like it always seems like Arsenal under Arsene Wagner, and but like he's been very successful as the manager, but he hasn't really won anything. That's true in a while. Uh, always seems to when the pressure's on or when they seem close to. You know, really putting something together and being something special, they seem to just pull out duds yeah. and not be able to score anymore. Uh, they obviously have uh, Oxley Chamberlain. Am I right in that? Yeah. He's still there. Alexis uh, Sanchez, Olivier Giroud, uh, Mesut Ozil. Yep. Uh, they've got a lot of talent up front. So, are you more worried about the goaltending, having seen what Petrček put together, or more worried about the strike talent? Well, no, not even. Look at. Do you remember when David De Gea first came to Man United? I forget yeah. who they played that first game, but he let in two extremely soft goals. The difference is that David De Gea was 19 at the time. True, yeah, but it's... it's, it's... And Petr Cech is 70. <laughs> yeah. So there's a bit of a, you know, there's a bit more experience yeah. in Petr Cech than there is on David De Gea. David De Gea, you're expecting to grow into the role. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you look at a Petr Cech kind of player, it's like your best days may be behind yeah, you. Po- and we're hoping that we can get a decent... Uh, you know, yeah. shadow of what you were. You still, if you're, even if you can't score goals, even if you're still scoring goals, you still just want someone who can make the odd save, the odd difficult save, which is what he'd been doing for Chelsea throughout the years. And not and not lose you games. There and you go. To, yeah. to, did it look to you like Petr Cech lost Arsenal that game? I guess so, yeah. Well, the, yeah. At, yeah. At points, yeah, because uh, even if it was a draw, um, yeah, no real big stepping stone for Arsenal to come out of that game a nil-nil draw against a terrible team so to jump back to Chelsea for a minute yeah. so we got Arsenal and we you know not sure how long the leash is on Petr Cech mm-hmm. but what when you Matt as a Chelsea fan put your Chelsea fandom hat on okay not that you ever, not take, that it ever take it off yeah. <laughs> but can you kind of approximate for me uh what would make you worried going forward in the next month or when do you get worried Either or there. Do you have an answer for so those? So Chelsea always sucks in November. 
They always do. Around my birthday, they always suck. Okay. Um, it's it's a fact. Um, Chelsea is always known for having great starts to the season, like going into um, going into August, September, October, doing very well, and you're always leading the top league. The past couple years, they've been top two of the league always. Uh, come November though, that's when the slip falls, and I think there's a Premier League st- statistic over the past two decades. I think whoever has been leading at Christmas goes on to win the Premier League. Oh really? Yeah. Okay, I gotta look at that. It's uh, I don't know if it's happened every single season, but for at least ninety percent of the seasons, uh, whoever's leading during Christmas goes on to uh, goes on to win the league. And so okay. November is a re- November December are two really really key moments in the Premier League, two key months. That's usually I've I've noticed that's usually when a lot of key matches are scheduled. Coincidentally, I don't know. Yeah, hopefully coincidentally, no corruption going on in there. But uh, <laughs> now it's crazy though. Right at the start of the season, uh, within August, City's playing Chelsea, Tottenham's playing Man United, Arsenal's playing Liverpool. This like this and that. There is uh, there's a lot of big games going on at the beginning of the season. I think that might shake it up, and we might see something a little different going into the rest of the year. Right. Yeah. Do Do you so when if they continue this slow start, you know, four weeks in, they're sitting. Let's say five games in. Yeah. They're sitting there with six points or seven points now, I guess. Yeah. Uh, are you concerned? Of course, yeah. It's just like I said, uh, right now is when you should be winning the games that you got to win, because mm. um, start starting November, that's when the Champions League creeps, and that's when the FA Cup, the Capital One Cup, starts creeping in. Lots of right. extra games, and then uh, World Cup qualifiers going on right now. Euro Cup qualifiers. The groups just got drawn. There's a lot of soccer that's being played. Uh, when November rolls around in that area. And that's when it hits a lot of teams pretty badly. But that's also when a lot of weaker teams you see start to step up a little bit. So that's the, the key thing for Manchester United back during their dynasty under Sir Alex Ferguson is they won the games they needed to win. That's why you could, you look back on their history. They can afford to lose that one game to Chelsea or that one game to Liverpool or that one game to Arsenal, but they're going out and they're beating the Derby counties and the Crystal Palace and the Leicester cities and the Newcastle United and Sunderland. They're winning those games they need to win. And that's, they're doing what they're yeah, going exactly. to do, but that's what a lot of these teams now can't do. They can't go out and just dig in and get a win. Uh, when it needs now, to. yeah, a part of that is a lot of the competitions that are going on in England with the FA Cup, uh, the Champions League, yeah. Premier League, and the Capital One Cup yeah. all being competitions that a lot of these major clubs are entered in. Mm-hmm. Where, What do you think the priority is for Chelsea this season? Is it the Champions League or is it the Premier League? Th- because, you know, it's hard for teams to do both. It is. Unless they're a team like, you know, Real Madrid or Bayern Munich. Yeah, who just dominates where, the league, yeah. Who just dominates the league. In the Premier League, it's tough to win both. Mm-hmm. It's often a choice between one or the other. There's no coincidence. It's no coincidence to my mind yeah. that Chelsea's last championship win, or last Champions League win, was they when they were sixth. in seventh yeah, place. Seventh, and yeah. they had no worries in the Premier League and they knew where they were right out of yeah. it. So, what do you think the priority is for Chelsea this season, having one last season? I think the priority, first of all, is the Champions League. A close second would be would be the Premier League, definitely, because knowing Jose Mourinho, he doesn't want Arsene Wagner, uh, Wagner uh, can't pronounce his name right now. Uh, Wenger, he doesn't want him winning the Premier League while he's working in the Premier League as well. He, okay. I don't think he wants that to happen. So he's he's gonna Jose Mourinho is still gonna oh, still gonna try for that Premier League. But I think priority is the Champions League because there's been every year Chelsea's gone and done the Champions League run with Jose Mourinho. It's always 
a heartbreaking moment or something really silly or something that shouldn't have happened always knocks them out. Just something like that could be preventable. So I think in these next couple of years, Mourinho really wants to make a stamp on Chelsea being a superpower in Europe rather than domestically because he's already done that. He's already shown that he can do it. Is he not around in a couple of years if they don't have success on both fronts the next two seasons? Next two seasons? Not too sure. Yeah. If they walk away with zero Premier League wins and zero Champions League wins, how how dire is the situation for Jose Mourinho? It's not and dire. Right it's now? more of an emotional thing. I find so he just signed a four year contract, which means absolutely nothing. In soccer, in soccer exactly, which is a shame. But it's more of an emotional thing going on right now because he wants to. Because Mourinho's talked about he wants to set up a dynasty here. He or not a dynasty rather, but. Uh, know have a long long hold on on the reins of Chelsea for a long time. He wants to create a legacy for himself. Now let me tell you mm. something about legacies, Colin. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, he needs to. Of course, he needs to hit the ground running with this, and he's yeah. got to do it somehow. Winning a Premier League within his first two seasons back, perfect. Um, mm. But I'm sure he wants to do a lot more, and he, I feel he needs to do a lot more, and he feels there's unfinished business with Chelsea. That's what I think his need is right now. So, okay. two to two years. I want to say no because there's still a chance for growth. He's still molding the team to perfection that he wants to do. He's still got because he's got some of his old guard there still, and he's got a lot of young talent coming in that he's still got to form. And he's there's still uh, he's still got a lot of work to do with players like Oscar and Hazard and Remy, for example. He's still got a lot of work to do with them and a lot of young players coming in who he needs to mold and create. Speaking of a lot of work to do and molding, let's turn to Manchester United yeah. uh, and their performance over the weekend. Mm. They did beat Tottenham one nothing, which is a good, it's just a good very, win for them. Good, and their midfield result. did look strong. Yeah. Uh, Bash and Schweinsteiger in the last thirty or so minutes, he was playing well when he replaced Michael Carrick, spreading the ball around, yeah. uh, and definitely with some assurance at the end to protect that win. Mm-hmm. But the caveat to all that is that no matter how good they look defensively uh, and in the midfield. They didn't have a shot until the 65th minute, albeit they were one nothing before that because of a, 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 a an, own goal. Uh, an own goal from Kyle Walker. Yeah. I think its name's first name's Kyle, yeah. but Walker, uh, you know, booting it into his own net off United pressure uh, to be said. He came back and uh, tried to tackle on Rooney and ended up kicking it in his own net. Yeah. Too bad for him, but still a one nothing performance from Manchester United. Uh, are you seeing that as a small victory for Man United, or do you see some more concerns underneath that, uh, given that their offense was not spectacular? Well, agree with me on something right here. That Wayne Rooney situation with uh, Walker putting in his own net, that was a goal if Rooney hit it or Walker hit it, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think so, too. So, I think... But that's still that's still, you know, one it's shot. It's still him not putting I mean, in it does, the net, yeah. It does, yeah, it does change the dynamic of the game. Yeah. Uh, but the fact is, Walker caught up to him. Yeah, you know, Wayne true. Rooney doesn't. Wayne Rooney mm-hmm. isn't the fastest player in the Premier League anymore. Yeah. Um, but I think, say Wayne Rooney booted that in the net a second before Walker was able to get his foot on it. I don't think so many of this, this conversation we're having it wouldn't be as dire or as serious as we're making it. Sure, I don't but think it's so. you know this isn't a world of if and buts. It's it's what uh, happened. Happened, Matt. It's what happened. Yeah. Happened. So we got to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And you know the situation that we're dealing with right now mm-hmm. is a Man United team that looked uh, you know especially good in the midfield. Yeah, uh, they looked weak defensively early on. Yeah. They had a you know they brushed with a pretty close chance that uh, just went over the crossbar. That's true. Uh, and then it seems like from there uh, they settled into a game, but they settled into one where they weren't producing offensively and you talked a lot about you know Chelsea's 
one, two, three, and they just need that third finishing. Yeah. Uh, and I'm wondering if after stocking up on midfielders, yes, Man United yes, yes. will similarly have that one, two, yeah. but miss that three because Bastion Schweinsteiger and Memphis Debay are yeah. not going to be scoring goals for you. No. They're the guys that set it up. It's Wayne Rooney. Um, that has to be the guy that finishes things. Yeah. You know, I think so. does this concern you that they only have the one, two and they were missing the three on Saturday? Um, definitely. Um, I think that these guys, they, um, uh, what am I trying to, what am, what am I trying to get at? Man United, they've got a very strong attack force, very strong midfielder on paper. The defense, though, of course, isn't as strong as it could be. Yes, yes. Played well. Yeah, play, oh yeah, played well, but against a Tottenham, who uh, who really strengthened in the offseason. Um, I, I, found, I found they really, really strengthened in the offseason. And Harry Kane, of course, is a very dangerous guy. And yeah. Just lots of lots of options, I found. And that's Tottenham's going to be a team that's going to really go far this year, I think. They're a real dark horse for me, me too. Tottenham. Yeah. They, they, they. I think they have a chance. You know, if you know, with Man United back in the in the Champions League and Arsenal going to be fighting for the Premier League yeah. as much as they can. You know, when they're going to be fighting against the big clubs like Chelsea, whose concentration, as you have said earlier, yeah. uh, is going to be elsewhere. There's a real opportunity here for while the big tier teams are fighting it out amongst each other uh, and moving into the Champions League, mm-hmm. for Tottenham to come in with some y- very young, very strong, yeah. very talented guys and really shoot up the Premier League charts i think really. so too yeah i won't be surprised they they always compete for fourth for fourth place they finished fifth last year so they are they have a europa league uh soccer to play so that's gonna be one factor as yeah. well um they've done it before they've done it before uh europa league they did it the year before as well uh had an okay run from what i remember um yeah. but this year they look very different and they've learned a lot they've learned a lot from these last uh two seasons and they've grown as a team especially and when you got a guy like Harry Kane, very young talent, um, who can change a game in an instant, and is not also a very good finisher, also a very good playmaker, I find. Mm-hmm. Very, very good playmaker. From what I saw of Tottenham last year, too, Eric Lamella yes, really kind yeah. of turned it up there, and he was on the bench true. Uh, to start the game the other day. Uh, it's very interesting, the talent that they have kind of on the wings there, and it's pretty impressive uh, performances last season from guys that weren't even starting. Yeah, you wouldn't think on to, Saturday. That was a strong performance. Yeah, so I saw that too. That was very interesting. So I'm not really, not really sure how to how to judge that one with Tottenham this year. They're like we said, like you said, they're a dark horse for you. I think it's a team we really got to play, uh, keep a close eye on in the next couple uh, next couple weeks. The other team that's always people's dark horses is Liverpool. Now I, I will plead ignorance on this one because I haven't been following the moves that Brendan Rodgers has been doing uh, too closely. I know that Raheem Sterling's on the way. Yeah, he's out. he's at Man City right now. Yeah, he's at Man City. I knew that. Don't know much else what they Christian were doing. Benteke, but they, the uh, the Aston Villa Oh, they striker. have Benteke. Yeah. You're correct. Well, I've always okay, been a big so fan of So that I can speak to. Yeah. He is in a, he's an exceptional talent. Yep. And if he did not get hurt the other uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I think Belgium would have gone really far. Yes. In 2013, Belgium had what might be one of the great uh, team international asides, uh, underrated dark horses. Yeah. Uh, it was unfortunate that the World Cup just happened a year later. That's true. And, you know, Ben Teke got hurt. Uh, Hazard wasn't up to the same form that he was no, he before that. Yeah. Uh, and you got you saw guys like Mario Fellini kind of fall off the map a little bit. But just one year earlier, and I think Belgium could have been in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. Yeah, I think you're right. That 
that's an aside. So, Matt, yes. what do you, th- you know, two teams that are often dark horses are, you know, moving into that four, five, and six spot. Yeah. Tottenham and Liverpool. Who do you see finishing higher this year? Without a doubt, Tottenham. No doubt okay. about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, Which is, uh, we should mention, uh, a flip on years past. That's true. Yeah. Liverpool is always finishing top three uh, during the Premier League. Hasn't won the Premier League in decades, though. Real superpower in the 70s, but haven't really made it click, uh, especially in the Girard years. Say so the uh, late nineties, uh, which is too bad because he was an exceptional. Talent. He was, yeah. As much as I hate the guy, yeah, it's definitely deserved to win a uh, deserve a couple of Premier League medals. Definitely did. You, just to step on that for a second, I know we're jumping all over the place today, but do, do you hate Steven Gerrard because he's a, a mere reflection of Frank Lampard? Yes. Okay, <laughs> I just want to, yeah, I just wanted to be clear there. I'm like, you hate the? Is it just because he wears a different shirt? And that seems to be because they're pretty similar players, play the same position, Somewhat, yeah. and that's why they struggled so hard on to play to each playing together in yeah. England because they both were trying to occupy the same space. Exactly, yeah, more or less. But um, yeah, Gerard really carried that team, even in his uh, mid 30s. Really, really carried that team, and he was the reason why they did. They won some games and got some crucial points and stopped uh, from losing a lot of crucial points. <clears throat> They're going to be strong this year because they have Daniel Sturridge back, who will be coming back very soon, I believe. He's not; He wasn't back for the first game. He will be back, though. And I don't know if remember Daniel Sturridge when he first was paired with Luis Suarez that one year when Liverpool finished second to Man City mm-hmm. um, uh, by a couple points. Uh, Daniel Sturridge was scary. He was scoring goals at will. He was yeah. very, very good. Keep in mind, he had Luis Suarez, who was helping you out as well. Yes. Um, but this time around... I don't know if someone like Christian Benteke and Daniel Sturridge can play that well together because if if they if they can, if they can this changes, changes the whole primarily those two. And guys. then you're missing yeah. Steven Gerrard. They're saying, oh, Jordan Henderson, the young Englishman who's going to take over the captaincy mm-hmm. most likely, if he's going to step into the big role. But I don't know if he can. There's no real leader on that team. Well, I think that okay, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. But I think Henderson can fill the void filled by Gerard the last couple seasons because they're probably at about the same level I think he can fill the void uh, the Gerard of the last three years and Jordan Henderson now yeah he can fill the void and play the position well but he's not going to be a guy who's going to be a game changer and a guy who can really light a fire underneath the Liverpool team as Steven Gerard did yeah now the interesting thing about this entire conversation is that you know the was it last year or the year before where Liverpool was challenging and they played Chelsea and Steven Gerrard basically coughed the ball yeah that was uh when he when he came on at halftime and it was basically uh did he get a red then like 45 no, seconds that was, something uh, like that? that was something, that was something else, else. Right? yeah that was pretty funny, okay but yeah. he coughed the ball yeah, up he and Chelsea ball went right down and scored halftime, like 45th uh, 44th minute and Dembele yeah. scored yeah and then uh that was probably the end of the season for them yeah so Man City looked impressive, just to recap everything. Chelsea, you're not concerned yet, but if they don't step it up in August, then, then you're going to start getting yeah. real concerned. Uh, Arsenal, what uh, Peter Cech is a secret agent for Jose yeah, Mourinho. That's, that's what's explaining Check right that off the list. Yeah. And Man United, uh, not convincing, uh, but not entirely but worrying. Nothing to be worried about so okay. far, yeah. Now, this Sunday, Chelsea will be playing... Manchester City. And man, and we're hoping that Maddie will be live tweeting that from our Twitter account at sixty second timeout. Uh, Matt's going to take that over. I've pretty much been hogging it for the last little while, uh, but we're pretty excited to turn that over so Matt can. Uh, you'll be doing that, yeah. Eh, Matt? Hopefully, I'm not angry. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Although it would be a lot better if you were angry, as long as you keep you it. Said, you know uh, what? You know, yeah, geez, board. it would be pretty funny as long as I don't use and, any bad language. 
I'm also toying around with the idea of us uh, recapping one of the mid-table games. Oh, those are great games. I think that would be awesome. So if you, Matt, over the next couple of days can think of, uh, uh, is there mid-table games on Sunday off the top of your head that I could try to tune in on? On Sunday. Preferably on Sportsnet, Sportsnet. or TSN. Sunday. Crystal Palace is playing Arsenal. Sunday. That's not we mid table. We, we could try to do that. We'll, we'll sort it out, but that'd be a yeah. cool thing for the next podcast. We'll be very recapping good. one of those games. Even Saturday, uh, but um, uh, Swansea's playing Newcastle. That'd be a pretty evenly matched game, I find at first. And then yeah, uh, not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not sure I can make that That's going to be an amazing game. Okay, yeah. so those are games that you need to watch out for this week. Matt will be live tweeting the Chelsea game Sunday, yeah. uh, if if he doesn't throw his phone on Sunday, <laughs> uh, and we'll try to do it. We'll see what our schedules are like that we can do a recap of some other games. Yep. Uh, the mid-table games throughout the Should season. Should be fun. Okay, perfect. So now that we spent 40 minutes on soccer, Jeez, yeah. which was not in the game plan, nope. uh, Maddie, yes. do you want to turn into True Detective? Uh, yeah, let's do it. We'll jump into that right away. We didn't leave a lot of time for True Detective, uh, given the fact that it was an extended episode this week, in an hour and a half. Yep. Uh, and a lot happened in that episode. A lot did, yeah. Uh, this will be a spoilery version, spoilery conversation. We want to talk about the whole series, yep, uh, different aspects of it. Uh, and we just want to give you that heads up now. So if you want to, you know, go watch the episode and come back, uh, as I know some people probably will, yeah, we won't uh, you can you. do that now. All right. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, initial impressions of the last episode. I wasn't a big fan of it. Yep. Not at all. Yep. I did. You know what? I, I wanted to love it. Me too. I was and... looking so forward. I was, cause I was looking forward to it a lot because I was just thinking that, couple of these couple of last couple episodes were a little slow a little you know not many questions were answered a little too much extra plot that shouldn't be there extra dialogue extra silly stories like that whole um the whole relationship between Bezerides and uh, and, and Ray like that was not needed we should we should also yeah yeah we should point out that i was entirely wrong on who did it uh yeah for, <laughs> i'll admit that i totally blew the entire like well, so was I. I think it's these people uh you know it wasn't so much a twist as just i it was thought out differently yeah. uh and the fact that he used police riot shells i thought was the biggest clue yeah, that was yeah it wasn't it you know this guy just turned out to have you know the riot shells on yeah. him uh, can you even recall the killer's names, Matt? Not really. <laughs> no, no. And the same thing as the first season. Can't remember that guy's name. No, I mean, we got the Carcosa. We don't know much. We, we got we, the Yellow we King. We weren't introduced to much of him. We weren't introduced to much yeah. of him. And the same thing with in this one. You know, they because were there, True Detective strays away from the stories, sort of stories where uh, you see the hero and you see the villain both at the same time. It's just this hero's trying to catch him, this, and this villain's yep. trying to get away. Yeah, this one is just you don't know what's going on. It's always something new that's being revealed to you. That's why True Detective, you don't really remember names or anything, but say for Dexter or The Wire, I can name you the villain yeah. every season and and the the and the name of the names of the good guys. Yeah, because they drive it home. That's true. Exactly. And not, it felt like uh, to stick with the last episode uh, from my perspective, the end of last season, the writer Nick, I'm going to say Pozzolotto, but Pozzolotto. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I'm butchering it. Uh, he took a lot of heat because this very dark and disturbing show uh, with the Yellow King and Carcosa and all the conspiracy mm-hmm. and all the, the you know the, the the darkness and the texture of the Louisiana setting uh, all culminated in a very happy-go-lucky finale where yeah. they got the bad guy, the characters survived the stabbing, uh, and the the cynic, the pessimist. Uh, you know, looks up at the sky and says, 
you know what the the light is really fighting back with the darkness because it used to all be dark. Yeah. I didn't have any issues with that finish. I thought it Me was either. he kind of subverted he subverted the notions that we have about TV shows where if they're dark and they're deep, someone has to die. Yeah. Uh, and that was basically you know him stabbing the main character and having him live yeah. was subverting what our expectations were for this dark series to finish. Yeah. And ultimately, he took way too much criticism to heart from the first season. His criticism, uh, you know, the criticism of it being too light at the end basically resulted in him putting together one of the most depressing finales in terms of characters and their finishes to their, you know, storyline that I've ever seen. I didn't think, you know, if Ray died and Frank died, I'd be cool with that. Yeah. But the fact that Ray died and his last message to his son didn't go through mm-hmm. was the biggest punch in the gut I have ever experienced from watching mm-hmm. television. That was kind I of thing that was that deliberate. It's a punch in the but gut, but it's one you like, kind of. I didn't like it. it. it just, I wanted him to get that message through to his kid. Just threw a wrench like, in the story. You're just like, things don't always just, go your way. Sure, that things don't always go his way. Yeah. But it's just like... Give the guy a break, yeah. man. And then they topped it off by saying he's the parent, which I suspected the whole time yeah. that he was. The, they were driving it home a little too hard that he pregnant, yeah. the, you know, that he wasn't. So you know, made sense. And then yeah. you know, Frank died for a suit jacket. True. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people criticized that because it was just the suit jacket, but I think he was trying to protect the diamonds that were in the suit jacket. Yeah, me too. Um, well. Lots of criticism. And, he, on and this. he took the best. He took the best, most interesting character yeah. in Desiridis, whose plot was finally coming to fruition in the last couple episodes. Yeah. Paired her up with the romantic interest of Ray for some of reason. All people, yeah. And then send her to the sidelines for the entire finale to magically reunite with uh, the wife of uh, Frank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, fine, sure, but like, come on, yeah. man. Like, it's just and like then having the baby most... too. I was like, are you serious? Having the baby too, you know, I was fine with having the baby too. I wasn't, <laughs> but uh, well, no. If they had the baby and she was in this badass action sequence in the lead up, and then you know she gets away and has the baby and goes off to Mexico and meets her, but she's a part of the plot, I know, and a part of trying to get these guys and trying to help Ray out rather than just being stranded on a boat. Yeah, like come on, like why? It was, it was very cheesy kind of, ending. At, at why are you sidelining your strongest and only yeah. really female character? It's true. Well, anyways, I, I've dominated the conversation, Matt. What are, what are your thoughts? Lots of uh, lots of negatives for this season, though. What, what do you think about the positives? I thought the, the season the started season. out great. Mm, the whole okay. thing with uh, Ray getting shot was it the second episode in by the guy with the bird head? Yep, it was an awesome way to just start the season with a bang. <laughs> no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty interesting. The whole thing, that was a good with, pun. the whole thing with uh, the son Chad, and the whole custody battle, Ray going beating up that kid's dad, like yeah. that's that's you know good character development. Yeah, uh, the shoot the shootout, fantastic. The shootout, yeah, no, that was a good one. Fantastic, yeah. And um, I thought uh, just the growth of Vince Vaughn's character, just the miss, not the growth rather the mystery behind him. I thought those were some of my favorite things about it. Okay, positives. There's a lot of almost positives. For me, but I'll stay away from those because we're trying to be positive here. <laughs> the acting I thought was great. For the uh, most part, I did yeah. not have, yeah. and you know, I saw uh, an article just to stop referencing other people's, you know, work. 
that was saying that Vince Vaughn was the the worst of the characters. I think you and I both disagree with that. Uh, one. Yeah, Vince Vaughn grew me. I remember the, our early podcast. I said I'm, I'm, he's the one I'm most worried about. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he very, he grew into the role very well. His character was was I started to like his he's character. very strong because I yeah, I thought I remember I remember this. I thought his character was hiding something, and he played a bigger role in this than we thought. And he's trying to screw over other people while still answering to someone higher than that's what I thought. But complete opposite is what happened. It was it was it. He he put in a heck of a performance. I think so too. Uh, well. Him and you know Taylor Kitsch wasn't given much to work with, but the laid back, the you know this kind of dead stare uh-huh. concern, the kind of subtle clues to show that he was you know disturbed by what was going on in his personal yeah. life and so on. He did it well. I think he did it well. Yeah. And, you know, Rachel McAdams was given this crazy character and worked well with her. Uh, and and Colin, Colin Farrell was Farrell, given what he's good at. Colin Farrell was amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, he rivals, uh, you know, Vince Vaughn rivals Colin Farrell's performance, but Colin Farrell had a lot more yeah. to work with and was given a lot more to display. Like, we forget in the last episode, uh, being the character he was betraying, if you yeah. go all the way back to the first episode, he was a coked out, alcoholic, mm-hmm. burnout detective. You know, you agree? And here he is chasing after people. Do you agree that the problem is that everyone loved the relationship between uh, Russ Cole and, um, damn, what's the other detective's name? Marty. Marty. Do you think they people enjoyed name. that more compared to the fact that the individual, so season two, the individual performances were good, but I think season one, there was like a real matchup, a real teamwork together. Meanwhile, the teamwork here was kind of cheesy in season two. That's a good point, Matt. Um, I think that definitely plays a part in it. I think that the... So... But a lot of the problems, besides the plot issue... Because the plot's basically the same. Giant conspiracy, little individual in the plot that got this whole thing rolling by initiating uh, a criminal case. Yeah. That case gets resolved in the first half with the shootout or whatever, or at least gets closed. Then it's revisited in the second half kind of deal was kind of basically the same narrative structure, same kind of plot. The only difference is being that the deep philosophy of the first uh, season mm-hmm. that was expounded by Russ Cole and all of the character that was hidden under Russ Cole was not there with season two. Mm-hmm. And I think when people turn back to season one, they don't quote lines from Marty. You know, yeah. they don't look at Marty. You don't, you don't even remember his name. <laughs> There you, go. you know, he's just not the most memorable character on the show. It's really Matthew McConaughey uh, and the, also the religious narrative yeah. and the Carcosa and all the conspiracy that was going on there that drove people to that show. Yeah, uh, but it's more Marty's def- actions were what we remember him for. Yeah, yeah. just going out and shooting the guy in the exactly. head, uh, like you that. know, lying to the board. You know, that's a good point, Matt. And uh, but this season, it, a lot of the deep philosophical dialogue that was in the first season that was being repatriated from like Frederick Nietzsche uh, wasn't there because he wasn't because, again, he was plagiarized for plagiarism in the first one. <laughs> so all the stuff that he was trying to do in the second was his own uh, stuff. And then we get, you know, lines such as everything is effing. Uh, yeah. We get lines such as uh, I'm wearing a red rose in the finale. <laughs> Uh, from Vince Vaughn, you know, describing the meetup between him and his wife in Calcutta or wherever it is they're going. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, I just think I don't I don't know if the dynamic was definitely weird with four because it always shifted 
who was the focus of these episodes. He was never able to service them all at the same time, exactly. which he was definitely able to do with Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey in the first series. But this this weird shifting dynamic of, you know, in the, the second half of the season is a good example of it, where we have this arc of Ray, it ends. Then we have the arc of Desiridis, mm-hmm. it ends. We have the arc of Taylor Kitsch, it, it ends. ends. Yeah. And then we have Frank... Uh, arcing throughout the whole series basically uh, and that culminates with him and then we have in the last episode another arc of uh, Ray again yeah you know do you kind of see what I mean uh, yeah there? I see what you mean yeah it wasn't so, organized it's or- it's well, organized it was it's not saying it wasn't organized it was organized a little differently and yeah that's too appealing and I, you know I think you're right that the yeah. people loved Russ Cole yeah a lot because and not him, having yeah. a character like that yeah it's it was devastating for the series mm-hmm. But there was also, he was trying to do a George R. R. Martin-esque, you know, cast of characters. Yeah. Or, sorry, more of a Wes Anderson-esque uh, cast of characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just didn't seem to sit well with people. True, true. What What do you think, um, what was your favorite episode of the series? Favorite episode of the series is probably the one where Ray gets shot. I think so. The second episode, yeah, really? I think so. Okay. All right. Because I had very, I think this maybe my expectations were pretty high and either that episode or the shootout one. Because I guess we I'm, I'm pretty sure to say this this uh the series continues for the next couple of years, next couple of seasons. Each season is going to have that one big bloody moment. Yeah. And uh, or, or sorry, not bloody but rather intense action moment, at least one of them. And yeah. And that was the one cuz that was midway through, the, just after midway through the season, when everyone's just like, "Oh, like, come on, like, okay, Ray got shot, now he's alive, you know? Okay, like, let's let's let's, you know, let's do detectives, do some do some digging, do some actual work, and then yeah. right when they get a lead, boom, they gotta kill everyone." <laughs> yeah, basically, mm-hmm. and the whole thing breaks up. Yep. Um, do you think if Ray had died there, would that have made the series a different? different kind of perspective in the public yes i if think the big twist was advertising colin farrell and then killing him in the yes second episode? i think so i definitely think so because i know we were talking about this or i was saying if he did die we were, we were thinking about saying uh those scenes that we saw in previews were actually flashbacks or uh, yeah uh, yeah or sequences in the mind i was hoping it'd be nothing like that but yeah say he did die i think the 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 work would be in a lot more of a person level There'd be a lot more emotions and a lot more intensity towards the investigation. And I think that would have really, really turned the season around. So there was a lot of religious and spiritual narratives in the first one. uh, And a lot of different things that kind of were, you know, supernatural, not really grounded in reality. That seemingly ended up being all grounded in reality because it was just this one weird individual who had these habits. Exactly. But the one kind of kind of extra reality thing that happened in the series was ray predicting his own death or ray's dream yeah the dream predicting how he died did you did you did you pick up on yeah, that yeah it was the uh, running through the forest right the, the yeah dream. running through the forest the trees are giant or yeah. something like that uh there's men chasing you yeah uh you step out you're not fast enough or something, yeah, like, something that. like that yeah predicting his death you know his father is basically describing this to him yeah uh, you know after he's been shot by that guy mm-hmm. Does that, for you, Matt, uh, have any impact on how you view... Do you think that's a cool little thing? Do you think it's tacky? Or do you, does that kind of make the series a little better, having that little side note there? I thought it was cool in the sense that the episodes, a lot of the openings for them were very weak, very plain and normal. Nothing intense happened. No 
no direct thing with storyline. That's why I love Breaking Bad, because the opening sequence in every episode played a role into something later, or tied something together, which is really cool. I find True Detective, though, like a lot of opening scenes, oh, Vince Vaughn laying in bed with his wife, just looking at the sky and talking about God knows what. But this one, this, uh, this dream sequence actually tied together something, and uh, not necessarily tied something together, but played a significant role. Yeah, but it didn't improve the series overall for you. Overall, no, it just, it just, you know, gave me a little extra something, something to, 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 (laughs) know, say, say, you know, because not a lot of people remember that. Yeah. I found. Not a lot of people can, yeah, no, it's a good point. It's just, uh, you know, I would have, what would you have liked to have seen from this series? You know, seeing how it was set up, uh, seeing how the first few episodes progressed, what would you have liked to have seen from either the back end of the season or the finale? Um, more of a more of a serious crime, uh, crime of what's going on. Yeah, I want to see a little more serious that's going on. It was mm. everything was so secretive and hidden from the public. Um, just want a little more, not necessarily you know gun gun action and violence. Not, definitely not that, but just. Lots of facts and lot, uh, just something were given that needs to be solved. I found every yeah. episode you're introduced to someone new or something new that's tied to this. Oh, geez, like who's in this photo now? Look, he's also got a second photo. Now we got to go to the plastic surgeon. Oh, he knows her. And then it was just too much was being added on, and there was no no real center substance. No something, yeah, which I wasn't a big fan of. So I think. You raised that interesting point there, and there's a good thread there that I think we should probably uh, dive into a little bit, and that's basically that, you know, the first season was about a serial murderer, yeah, and this organization that was surrounding and protecting him and was shrouding, uh, you know, this kind of terrible, terrible behavior, mm-hmm. uh, and was participating in it with some high-ranking officials, we never got res- you know, resolution to that. Not really. And who all these characters were. But, you know, that was there. And then this was yeah. basically writ on large. There are these, you know, the giant parties with all the high-ranking yeah. officials. They're not wearing hoods. They, you know, there's prostitutes there, so on and so forth. Uh, and there's that kind of that activity going on. Because organized crime it, can it, be done well. Yeah, but there was no really high stakes this season because no. there was just investigating that initial murder. They were dealing with the corrupt rail corridor. Sure, corruption's bad, but it's not as bad as a serial murder. Exactly, and we didn't and, know you enough know, about the characters for us to feel bad for them or feel too personal on a level of that in uh, terms of this scenario. We felt bad yeah. for Ray with his kid, for example, not yeah. getting that text message through. Yeah. And it's just, oh, Frank, millionaire, owns a casino, losing his money slowly. And that's, that's the Whatever, key yeah. is that he did not put enough effort into buying into Frank as a character, into the Frank character, into Vince Vaughn's character. Yeah, I think you're sure right. Vince Vaughn put in a great performance, but they didn't front load the character with a reason for us to care yeah, about him. He, he was more. kind of a snake right off the bat. Yeah, you know, and we watched it fall apart for him. But the real, the real thing that was going on was, you know, besides Ben Casper being murdered and the big conspiracy theory around it, which basically resulted in a lot of people getting a lot of money. Yeah, you know, that's not a huge high stakes thing compared to a serial murder in season one. You know, you just got Frank's life falling apart. Well, you didn't invest enough in the beginning in us caring about Frank. Yeah, for us to because Frank that. basically screwed over our favorite character in Colin Farrell. That's true. So do you think, like, what what could they have done to fix that in your mind? What would have what kind of front-loading imagery 
to Frank would have made us care more to make this plot bigger. I think we had less main characters. I think the Taylor Kitchell wasn't really the the personal stuff about him wasn't really needed. I think it, I you know what I I think that it was it was important to incorporate that kind of storyline with the character. Yeah, because I think we would have liked a and that's more. a good storyline to look at, but I would have liked a little more from it. I think I, rather than taking it out, I found like his death I didn't see coming really. I found that it would have hit a little closer to home. Say we didn't know that much about him. Say he was just that cop who was there to save the day earlier and was helping out in the, in the side missions. He was helping out with that. But now that we know how he's a little strange, a little crazy, of course he's having that baby, but I think we learned too much about him and we got a little too used to him and he didn't offer that much on the table. He was just... Well, I think... I th- yeah, well... I think it was refreshing to have, uh, you know, a homosexual character be part of the conversation and to show what trying to stay away from yourself uh, and who you may actually be and what kind of, uh, you know, perceptions we have of what a man is. Yeah. Uh, and him always saying, you know, I'm just trying to be a good man and what his version, version of that is, is yeah, versus, you know, how his, you know, he actually feels yeah. uh, and the kind of societal pressure that's put on an individual like that, especially a veteran. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found we did not even, not even felt as sorry for him as they should have. Maybe not as sorry, but it was an interesting story to tell, and I think that it definitely highlighted some conversations that should be had. Well, not conversations that should be had, but a perspective on what kind of uh, societal pressures are put on individuals uh, that are struggling through the same thing that Taylor Kitsch was. Yeah. You know, having the societal identity of what a man is. Uh, or what a female is for a lot of people and having that subverted on them, whether that has to do with their sexuality or the way they dress Mm -hmm. or the way they behave or how they interact with people. There's always the societal norms that we put on people and, you know, trying to live up to those when that's not necessarily what you as a human being are. Uh, I think that's an interesting story to tell. Now, I don't think he told it well. I think he should have invested more time in it and should have really highlighted it and could have done it in a different way. But I think the fact that, you know, Taylor Kitsch was essentially gunned down because he didn't want to, because there was a standard of who he was as a man that he was trying to live up to, who wouldn't accept who he actually was, yeah. or what he, you know, what he, he's basically suppressing some part of himself and wouldn't admit that's part of himself, uh-huh. uh, and that was what basically killed him. I think that was an interesting story to tell. Yeah. Just invest more in it, really flesh it out more, rather than mm-hmm. having it be, you know kind of the side note for a lot of episodes only to culminate when he dies. Yep. So that's, I don't, I just, I, I wouldn't want to see Taylor Kitchup been removed altogether. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't want to see any of them. removed yeah, altogether. I just would have liked to have seen them incorporated, you know, I don't know how in an hour of television they could have incorporated them better, but game of Thrones seems to do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not really sure how they could have done it, done it differently. Yeah. Well, but, there's a lot on the drawing board for next season. That's what I'm trying to say. It'll definitely be renewed for I, this season. I don't think there's going to be I a think, next season. Oh, they definitely will be. Do you want to bet on it? Sure. What do you want to bet? Uh, last time we bet on something, it was really stupid. We, uh, <laughs> what was the last thing we bet on? I, I said something really stupid. And you thought it was really bad. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> all right. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> um. All right. We'll figure it out. Right. We'll put it. We'll put a bet together. Yeah, I'm down for that. You have to wear a Man United shirt oh. for, okay. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll discover. We'll we'll talk about. We'll negotiate. We'll negotiate off there. Yeah, we will negotiate. Uh, anything else you want to touch on with True Detective, Matt? We've gone over the hour. Yeah, mark, but I'm I, happy, think, I think I'm happy to continue if there's anything else that you want to no, say. No, I think we've touched base in just about all of it. 
we, you know, we went, we went episode by episode. Yeah. So like, if you want to really hear more on each of the different episodes that we want to go back to, I mean, it's all there. You can go back to past episodes yeah. on SoundCloud or iTunes. I think we did our job uh, good. We did our job okay. <laughs> and that's what counts is we did our job. We're okay. good at watching and stuff. Uh, certainly, you know, it leaves a void in the podcast of what the heck we're going to talk about, but we'll, we'll find. We'll take up a new that. skill or hobby, like. Aussie rules football. Oh, geez, that'd be crazy. We'll start co- covering Aussie. We'll get rules some more football. Australian fans. That'd be actually really cool. Well, okay, so let's let's finish up the True Detective by giving it. You know, a lot of people don't like ratings, but I think for it helps people gauge. You know, what they should invest in something. Mm-hmm. So what what do you think you would rate on a scale of one to ten? Uh, True Detective. I'd give it a season two. I'd give it a six point nine. And in comparison, what would you rate season one? Eight point nine. And if they flipped it and they'd had season this season as season one and last season as season two, do you think we would have a completely different conversation about this show? Yeah, I think so. It would be growing rather I, I, than it's, it's, yeah. Do you do you think the expectations of season two based on what happened in season one kind of totally undermined the whole show? Not really. We talked about this though. I because it's an anthology. You no, know, there's uh, you're not expecting the same thing to come back to. You're expecting something a little different, and they tried different, but. but yeah, it ended up being really similar in the end, though, no? Somewhat, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of similar, the same kind of techniques, the same kind of... Yeah. It was very similar and very different at the same time, yeah, you know? True. And th- there's a lot of things that you could look at and go, oh, it's the same. Like the, you know, who ended up doing it kind of deal and the episode structure. Yeah. It was very similar. And they're always trying to go for a big bang at the end. True. And then there's sees you know, and then there's things that are very different, like the lack of a spirituality, you know, spiritual and philosophical element, and sees that was not there in season two, that was there in season one. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it was. This has been a very weird eight weeks. Has been covering this, and I'm not really sure. You know, it kind of left a bad on. taste in my mouth after the after the. You know, you ready to move on, Matt? There's nothing you want to. No, no, saying in terms of the season. No, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. But you just want to move on from it. And you want to, yeah. you know, not have to think about it anymore. Exactly. Yeah. I just i I wish everyone all the best. I think Colin Farrell put in a hell of a performance. <laughs> yeah. I I feel bad for the writer because he's been getting yeah, the absolutely gonna get destroyed some stick, for but, eight weeks. Uh, in terms of the acting careers, they'll be fine. Taylor Kitsch is going to be fine. Vince Vaughn is probably going to be offered some stuff. I hope so, yeah. because I would love to see him put in another performance like that again. I think Colin Farrell is always going to be Colin Farrell, no matter what. But I would like to see, I'd like to compare Colin, uh, Vince Vaughn's performance in this season of True Detective to his performance in Dodgeball, <laughs> because I feel like he gave the same kind of performance of like how he was delivering a line. Just like stuff, the, t- the, the ticked off funny. leader who wants some business to get done? Yeah. 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 And has a bit of a smirk on his face. That's, yeah, you're, 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 you're right. Like, I wonder if, like, he's been capable of this all along, yeah. like, this kind of level of performance. Uh, but it's just, like, because he's pretty deadpan comedy. He's not, yeah, he's not running around jokes. like Zach Galifianakis yeah. or Will Ferrell. He's basically just playing he's, it pretty straight, Yeah, right? playing pretty straight guy. Yeah, that's, that's very true, yeah. Interesting, uh-huh. interesting. So we'll see how his career goes. Yeah, you know, see how it goes from his here. His career goes. All right, so you gave it a 6.9. Yep, what do you give it? The second season. I'm going to say probably, like, a 5. Oh, geez, okay. Yeah, uh, having seen the whole thing, mm-hmm. there was a couple great moments, but in the end, yeah. it, you know, it played out mm, not not the way you really wanted to. Not not the way I really wanted it to. Yeah, uh, and that might be a part of how long it usually took me to watch these episodes. Uh, but that's another story for another day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, 
True Detective Season 2 is over. We've talked about a lot of soccer. We've gone over the hour mark. I have some fish that's been defrosting for probably a little too long. Chris, yeah. So what is your recommended watching or listening for the week? Uh, we're talking about Colin Farrell lots. A lot of his character, Ray. So a um, uh, good movie to go watch out is Ray uh, with Jamie Foxx. <laughs> really? Really? I don't know what I don't know what's better that you're recommending Ray as a movie or you're recommending you know you're doing it off a segue. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure which is better, but I I love it. Uh, There's also a new metal band that's out called Okili Dokili. Uh, it's it's a uh, Ned Flanders metal band. I think you guys would like. If you haven't already seen it yet, because I'm pretty sure it's like flying through Facebook yeah. like wildfire. Jeez. Uh, I actually here. took you up on your week one recommendation, Matt. Sean Paul. No. Oh, Godfather. Godfather. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Watched it again, and uh, it was a heck of a movie. What a great movie. Uh, yeah. It is a great movie. It was the first time that uh, Spencer saw it. Oh, no so way. Pretty, I think he was pretty stoked good, on it. Good, good. Um, Happy it worked out. Now, I don't know why I asked what you were listening or watching, because I actually have zero recommendations. Well, that's have I recommended The Drop yet? What's up? Have I recommended The Drop yet? Yes, we were supposed to talk about that. Oh, man. All right. I'm going to recommend... Uh, an album that I've loved and has stuck with me for years, and that is Toxic? Modest Mouse. Uh, nope. Nope. The Britney Spears? Nope. Okay. No, I knew you were going to go there, and that's right. not it. Uh, it. That's number two. Yeah. Number one is uh, Modest Mouse, We Were Dead Before the Ship Even Sank, if I'm saying that properly. Uh, give that a listen. It's a heck of an album. Uh, Modest Mouse played Way Home, and you know they played right in my backyard. I've been dying to see them for years, and here I am. You know, six hundred talking, talking to away. an invisible audience. <laughs> talking to an invisible audience that's not there. Yeah, so I missed I missed Modest Mouse, but they're a heck of a band. You should definitely check out uh, their music and especially that album. Uh, Sixty second timeout on Twitter. It's at six zero second timeout. Uh, Matt will be live tweeting Chelsea this weekend. Yep, uh, and he's going to be taking over the Twitter account for a while, so it's going to be a lot more fun than when I was handling it. <laughs> a lot less Deflate Gate stuff. Uh, being retweeted, I imagine. I hope, anyways. <laughs> yeah, you hope. Uh, because the stuff you're retweeting probably wouldn't be very positive. That's true. Matt, any last words that you want to say before we jump off here? No, nothing yet. Uh, goodbye, everyone. See you Sunday. Lost Cousins, please take us out. Well, the people in this struggle, they will all end up in the ground. Yeah, the fathers and their sisters, they will all be buried in the ground oh, oh. yeah the people in this trouble they will all end up in the ground oh, oh. yeah the fathers and their sisters they will all be buried in the ground